Now it's time for News with My Dad, a show where we talk about the news with my dad. And in studio live, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad, the star of our show, Joe Smith. Hop, how you doing? I am wanting to or traveling to the west side, that West Burnside is closed today and tomorrow and Saturday and Sunday. It will be open at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, westbound only. But if you think you're going to use westbound to work this morning, do not plan on that because it is closed due to the rock slides which is one of the many rock slides around highways around Oregon because we have had the wettest January maybe ever. And that was as of three days ago, and it's still raining. Well, Dad, my story that I want to share is not about the weather. Although the weather, oh, man, the, the, the weather didn't really play a role. So there have been a number of people who have donated cars to X-Ray. In fact... Uh, my my brother Jonathan donated a card X-ray, and our board president donated a card X-ray. We've had three or four. I and I donated my card X-ray, and and it, for a while people were using it, and then they stopped, and it got a bunch of parking tickets, and it got and it was just, and it was treated as an abandoned vehicle, and I got notice that I was in trouble because of this. I said, hey, wait, I donated this car. And so I sent in the paperwork, and I had the receipt, and I sent it in. I was dealing with it. And I saw some piece of mail that said something about that my license was going to get suspended if I didn't do blank. So I, you know, it's like, oh, geez, I really got to make sure that they've received the documents that I sent. So I called day before yesterday, just before. I wanted to make sure I, cl I called before close of business. And I got it under the wire. But I was on hold so long that they... Uh, by the time the kind person at DMV answered the phone, they had shut their computer off and they couldn't deal with the thing, right? So it was a total waste of both of our times, mostly my time to be clear, because she didn't have to wait while I was waiting. Uh, and so then I called yesterday morning and I talked to the person. I said, listen, here's my tale of woe. I don't have this car, but I've, I've handled, I've talked to the folks that sent in the, the documentation. And he said, oh, Mr. Smith, your license has been suspended. Your license was suspended for failure to report an accident last year. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, you had an accident December 18th, excuse me, December 6th, December 6th, 2018, and failure to report it, meant your license was suspended February 9th of 2019. By the way, that was nearly a year ago. <laughs> Holy smoke. And I learned about this. And it, it's been well documented that I, you know, do not read every piece of mail that well documented, but I've been trying to keep my driving record from being a total piece of garbage. So I am very concerned about this. And I say, I did report that. I communicated to the police about it. I was parked, not parked. I was stopped at a red light and somebody just ran into me. She wasn't paying attention. She apologized. She was flustered. It didn't hurt me. It didn't hurt the car. So I didn't pursue the claim. But the police did say I had to file a report. So I did file a report. And I downloaded, downloaded our system and I sent it in. And they said, well, do you have a stamped copy of it? I said, no, I don't have a stamped copy. I gave it to you. And they said, well, then you're going to have to go to the DMV and pay a reinstatement fee. Now, the guy was very professional. 
He was, shall I, it did not make me happy, however. He was not, he was not a kind person. Well, he might be a kind person. He did not show kindness. He was like Tommy Lee Jones and the Fugitive. Okay. When they, when Harrison Ford says, I'm innocent. And Tommy Lee Jones says, I don't care. Okay. Maybe he cared, but he did not. Okay. I was very, and I was very disappointed. And this took another, you know, 35 minutes. I didn't, you don't call the DMV and the, a minute later they answer the phone. You got to be on hold for a while. So then later in the afternoon, I did the research. But luckily, thank you to modern technology, I had the receipts. I had the record. And I knew when I had faxed it in. On your computer. And I had my note. Yes. And I had sent myself an email with the notes of my conversation with Sandra at the DMV when I had sent it in. And so I called again. And this time I talked to someone else. This time I was on the phone for 40 minutes. And I said, I sent it in. And they said, well, and, and I talked to her for some length. I won't belabor you with the conversation. And she said, well, do you have a stamped copy? I said, no, I sent it to you. But I faxed it to you. And she said, so that's why, you know, I didn't like give it to the DMV and they stamped it and gave it back. But I faxed it to you, as I was told to do by Sandra, maybe Sandra, who works at the DMV. And she says, well, let me get the tech guy. He's at lunch. But I'll get the tech guy to come. When he comes back, we'll search the fax records in January and February. I said, you don't have to search January and February. You can look at February 6th at 1.13 p.m. Pacific time because that is when the fax was sent. And by the way, I've sent to you the fax again just today. And by the way, isn't it absurd that they have to deal with faxes? I mean, they're like, who, who has to operate with a fax? They said, well, is there an online way to submit? No. Only you either go in and the office or you fax it. Those are the two ways. Okay, old legislation. Uh, after some conversation, she said, let me get back to you. She called me back later and she said, Mr. Smith, you're reinstated. You don't have to come in. And so I was back to ex-ante position. I had found out, I found out yesterday that my license had, had been, been suspended, suspended for, for nearly a year. <laughs> but now my record, the only record that that has happened now is this recording, is me being on the air live, coming to you live right now on X-Ray is the only record that had happened because they, they eliminated it from my driving record. Uh, but anyway, and I just found out and then I got rid of it, but I thought I'd tell that, tell that story. <laughs> this is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff, what it's unimportant. And that was an unimportant stuff, and that was, but that so. was first person news. <laughs> we we were repeating somebody else's news. You heard it first. <laughs> there, was a time when dry, there was a time when my driving <laughs> record was news. Dad usually takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout out? I do indeed have a shout out. Background. Vanessa Nakate, an African-American woman, was in with a group of other women, all who happened to be Caucasian, when there was a picture taken of them with Greta Thunberg talking about environment and global warming. And the AP cropped her out of that picture to when they put it out on the wire, so she was just eliminated. AP insists that there was nothing racial about it, which is absolutely bourgeois, absolutely bourgeois. But she is using the free publicity she has received from that, which is considerable, to encourage diversity in climate efforts around the world. And I want to compliment and shout out for Vanessa this morning. All right, Dad. Well, where do you want to start? International. I got a bunch of international. Somehow stuff. you're going to buy. You're going to say the world is more important than what is happening with the presidency here in the well, United States. Well, if you States. want, we can talk about impeachment first. Your choice. I think. I think we ought to okay. because there is breaking news from the New York Times. Whereas when 
I went to bed two nights ago. The news I saw, maybe, yeah, I think two nights ago, three nights ago, the news, the last after the last time you and I talked on this show, and thanks, by the way, for listening, people. We really appreciate it. It's nice to have you with us. We got, we had information that McConnell released uh, that he didn't yet have the votes to block witnesses. Now, that's very different from saying there were votes to allow witnesses. Right. It means there are a few people who are keeping their powder dry. It meant that, and this little sausage making here, when you uh, are working the legislative process, you have a whip. And the whip, some somewhat unfortunately named uh, position, and there can be their assistant whips, et cetera, who are going around and getting the vote count. So you, that the leadership team and so that the Senate leader, the House leader, knows if something is going to pass or fail, a motion or a bill, et cetera. And when you say, if you, don't, if you say there are the votes to stop me, well, that means one thing. But if you say I don't have the votes to do a thing or I don't have the votes to block a thing, what it means is your whip count is not yet up to the 51 votes that you need in a 100-vote chamber. And there was even speculation that for people listening closely, a lot of people read it and said, oh, look, there are going to be witnesses allowed. But there are other people who listened to it closely and said, no, that's actually not what that means. That probably, why would McConnell say this out loud? Why would he want to announce this? Well, because that means what, Ned, you're about to say it. What it means is that the folks out there who love DDT are going to be... Putting all kinds of pressure. Putting all kinds of pressure. All kind, I wonder who it is. I bet you it's Cory Gardner. That guy, he's in a he's in a purple state. I bet he's squirrely. Oh, that's Susan Collins. We better go to her. Mitt Romney, that Utah, you know, the Mormons who still think morality is a thing. Baby, we better get to talk to Mitt Romney. Uh, and they start putting pressure on folks. Well, now, as of Tuesday... McConnell had privately warned his rank and file that he did not have the votes, but one after another on Wednesday, in statements and interviews in the Capitol, Republican senators made clear they would side with Mitch McConnell. It looks now, New York Times reporting essentially overnight, that it looked like, uh, I went to bed without this news, I woke up at 3 a.m. this morning uh, with this news, that now it does look like McConnell is going to block witnesses. It does look like the first person witnesses and the first person witness of John Bolton. That the Republicans have been screaming were lacking for weeks and weeks are not going to be allowed to testify. It's a cover up. The Parnas video is not going to be introduced. Bolton is not going to be allowed to talk. Mulaney is not going to be allowed to be subpoenaed and put under oath and made to explain why he said on live television, which I watched, yes, there was a quid for quo, for quo, get over it. Cure Poirot. Oh, and, and this, I can't. It's a little maddening, isn't it? It's it a little is maddening. maddening. It really is The only maddening. way to channel it is in a democracy. There's and no, it, it, I mean, we can howl at the moon and should. We should howl at the moon. We also have to make sure one of the moons we're howling at is the democratic process, not only presidential elections, but also everything that's happening at home. And they bring in this guy who I have to say now can legitimately be called a clown, clown, Dershowitz, who they must have dead wood on. And I suspect, I suspect it relates to the accusations that have been made about his participating in the sexual peccadilloes at the Epstein. Yeah, place. or the weird death of his yeah. wife. I mean, there's weird stuff, man. Yeah, it's weird stuff. But it's not just that he needs the money says, and fame. He, he comes in and says with, so help me, a straight face that if a president of the United States uses the power of the presidency 
to coerce a federal or a foreign government to help him in his election by withholding congressionally authorized funds or for that matter any other way he can coerce them if it's to help him in his election it's okay because that's for the good of the country uh, it's a frightening I, argument it is a frightening argument a frightening argument and that they would have that they would be willing to allow the guy to say it so tomorrow tomorrow we're going to know whether or not there'll be witnesses Mitt Romney submitted a question. I want to respond to the Dershowitz thing before you move on, Sure, Bob. go ahead. The uh, Lawrence Tribe, I didn't have Dershowitz, I did have Tribe. Tribe responded uh, this morning criticizing uh, Dershowitz. They were, you know, professors together at, at Harvard Law School uh, and were, both, were two of the more famous for more famous people. Uh, Tribe was vastly more respected and now is vastly, vastly more respected in legal circles. Not, not only in progressive political circles, to be clear, in legal circles, in circles of people who care about the rule of law and its analysis and its understanding. It's a scary argument. And let's just extend that argument to a couple examples. Imagine instead we're talking about uh, what has been discussed has happened to Jimmy Carter of not only there being of there being an agreement that hostages not be released until after Carter is no longer president until after the election. Uh, imagine there is uh, an effort by Richard Nixon to block the uh, Lyndon Johnson trying to make peace in Vietnam, which both of which happened. By both the way. of which happened, <laughs> and that because these folks were working in their own view of the national interest, their own political interest, but because they equate their own political interest with the national interest, so that's okay. But let's extend it further, not only to international affairs. And imagine, I mean, like, like truly does this mean that he can suborn the interference of national elections on that by a foreign enemy? That all of a sudden, it because it advances the national interest that if John Adams had gone to England and said, I want to make sure Thomas Jefferson is never president and therefore send troops, therefore threaten members of the Democratic Republican Party, therefore threaten anti-federalists. I want to make sure that anybody who likes Madison's interpretation of the Constitution does not have any sway Therefore, I need more than Benedict Arnold isn't enough. I need like 10 Benedict Arnolds to make sure that we can have a Tory style government in the United States. And by the way, I'm not really just making that crazy stuff up. This was exactly the debate. This is what was being discussed when the Federalist Papers were being written, when the Constitution is being debated. This is why impeachment exists. But now let's take it to more modern examples. I gave one, which is the interference on our elections by a foreign power. Not, by the way, a hypothetical. Also something that happened. But let's go further. What, what if we imagine literal political favors being made and not just, hey, you get to sleep in the licking bedroom if you make a campaign contribution, but the making of policy. If you say, if you give me, if you give me a, uh, if you give me huge support in my, if you if you'll put out big secret money, then I can, uh, then I will make sure that you get a bunch of no bid contracts. Let's imagine that. Now everybody knows we don't want that. Everybody knows we don't want that. 
Now, there'd be two ways to block that. One way to block that would say, well, that's bribery. That's a violation of a bribery statute. It's also a violation of campaign finance laws, so you've got to indict that president. Well, according to the current Department of Justice, you can't indict a sitting president. So ain't nothing going to happen for that. Oh, but don't worry. We have something in the Constitution in order to deal with that. It's called impeachment. Let's impeach the guy. Well, now you've got Alan Dershowitz, who is trampling upon his own legal credentials and his previous respect in order to say, well, if the president deems it's in the national interest, then it's not impeachable, which then means we have created an iron a dual phalanx, a wall, a blockade of any accountability for the conduct that is precisely the kind of conduct that we wanted to make sure didn't happen. This is a big deal. It's not only a big deal if you don't like Donald Trump. Is it a scary, scary thing? And it is a big deal. Dad, go wherever you want. It is a very, very big deal. (laughs) Mitt Romney asked the question, when did, when was the hold on the money and when did the president know about it and why was it imposed and why was it released and you need to be able to ask witnesses that and the reason the house did not have those witnesses is because the white house said they cannot come they are not allowed to come and to address that you would have go to court and you would have been lucky to get a final court ruling by october And, of course, the big argument the Republicans are making is they're trying to overturn an election. Can you imagine what they would be saying if it were October and not January? But very interesting, Rand Paul has submitted a question that apparently would require revealing the name of the whistleblower or somehow the identity and... The Chief Justice, who is the presiding officer under the Constitution of impeachment proceedings, has refused to read it. And that has raised the question which I've raised weeks ago about what power does the Chief Justice have as presiding officer. And I have contended that because the Constitution says he shall preside, that he has the power that you expect a presiding officer to have, which is to rule on admissibility of things, which is to rule on whether or not a witness should be called, and if that witness is called, is that witness's testimony relevant? Also, pretty clear that the Senate, under the Constitution, has the right to overrule presiding officer's rulings, in some cases by a majority vote, in other cases, by a two-thirds vote. But the fact that the Chief Justice has exercised that little tiny bit of power makes me wonder if he will listen to what Adam Schiff had to say yesterday in response to these questions when Schiff said, you bet that the Supreme Court Chief Justice has the power to rule on these questions. And I expect, at least I hope, that there will be some motions from the House team to do exactly that. And, Dad, you were on it first. You asked, I don't know, it was a week ago, two weeks ago, and you said, I wonder if Justice Roberts will call his own play and allow witnesses. And I asked, is anybody else talking about that? And he said, no, but I'm talking about it. Well, now multiple people are talking about it. I still uh, fear and predict. Uh, I don't know which is which. 
but I fear and predict that Justice Roberts is a Republican first and a jurist second. Just barely, but I think he's a Republican first and a jurist second. Got a text in. Here is the actual quote from Dershowitz, and thanks for the text. And the text line, by the way, 971-220-5979. Here's Dershowitz's quote. Uh, if a president does something which he believes will help him get elected in the public interest, that cannot be the kind of quid pro quo that results in impeachment, end quote. Uh, and this this uh, this texter was concerned, I think it was Joe Pesci, uh, was concerned, they didn't say a name, so I've got to assume it was Joe Pesci, that uh, was also concerned that Schiff didn't call that out sufficiently. But it's been it's getting some coverage, some coverage and oh, analysis in the news because yes, it is, it is. It's an absurd and argument. It's really getting covered on KXRY this morning. But let's not just because something's absurd, let's not fall into the uh, sort of pointy-headed trap. And I've noticed it more and more. I've now realized that once I was attuned to it, now I notice it all over the place where liberal-minded folks like to take great pride in their knowledge, in their understanding. They say, "Ah, aren't those the dum-dums?" And then they think that the dumb dumb critique will win the day. It didn't win the day. It didn't win the day when Charlie Chaplin was criticizing and making fun of Hitler. It didn't win the day when people were making fun of Ronald Reagan being a dummy. It didn't win the day when people were calling out George W. Bush for not being able to spell potato or whatever the heck he did. Maybe it was, was, it, was he misspelled potato or was it quail that misspelled potato? I don't remember who misspelled it was potato. Uh, and, and, it, and it hasn't, and it didn't keep uh, either Bush or Reagan from serving two terms. And I, it's not going to, calling, uh, calling Dershowitz's argument absurd and silly is not a sufficient critique. Calling it immoral, calling it un-American, calling it unpatriotic, calling it unconstitutional, calling it bad, calling it wrong. These, calling it corrupt. Amen. These are the kind of critiques I think that are more important critiques than, oh, isn't that a silly legal argument that you couldn't even get away with on a law, ex law school exam? All right, Dad. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Chief Justice Roberts did block mention of the alleged whistleblower's name in the Senate uh, Q and A. Let's move beyond impeachment for now, uh, so that we can get. We're going to be we're going to be trying to cover all these uh, city council races and Secretary of State races and mayors races that are mayors races, mayors race uh, that is happening, and we that means we're going to have a lot of folks to interview, including Margot Black this morning, a little bit later. But one thing I got to say on the national front that you may have seen is that a large section of the U.S. border wall of Mexico collapsed due to wind. It blew over! <laughs> it, it, wasn't, it wasn't El Chapo. It wasn't a, a great new cartel anti-wall weapon. It wasn't Mole Man. It was just the wind, which I have to say, if you're building a wall, you say, am I going to anticipate there's going to be some wind if it's outside? Like if you have an inside wall, then you don't have to worry because you don't have to worry about the wind so much because the outside walls take care of it. But if it is the outside wall, that's basically the outside wall's job. Like the rain, the, the roof is for the rain, but the wall is basically for the wind. But at, after all of this, I don't mostly want to criticize the wall engineer. I want to criticize the engineer of the engineers, which is our president. And not merely say he's a dumb dumb, but to say he's doing the wrong thing and spending money in the wrong way. But anyway, the section that fell uh, was being amped up near Calexico, uh, Calexico, Calexico, I should pronounce that word better, California. U.S. Customs said the new concrete had recently been poured in and had not had time to set, so maybe we're dancing a little too early. 
Trump's signature campaign promise, of course, has faced a number of challenges over his three years. About a half a mile of new border fence has been built under the Trump presidency. Is that right? I want to check that number. The rest of the funding has gone towards strengthening existing walls so they don't get blown over in the wind. Dad, you've wanted to talk about international news. Go ahead. Okay. For be- to begin with, the DDT peace plan for Israel sub- was submitted. And the reaction of the Palestinians is perhaps best summed up by the executive director of the Palestine Center and Jerusalem Fund for Education and Community Development, Yusuf Mouyera, who says it is simply insulting. And, you know, it really is insulting to the Palestinians because what it says is that despite the UN's ruling that the settlements are illegal, that there may have been genocide, all that stuff. It just gives Israel really everything that they want. Turkey and Greece are at serious odds over Mediterranean oil, and Turkey and Greece, which have been close to war several times in the last 50 years, are once again, and to try to keep it from getting to be a hot war, France is sending warships to the Mediterranean, to stand guard on behalf of Greece because Greece doesn't have much of a navy itself and Turkey does. That's kind of scary. Sports news is, this is, however, significant international news. Super Bowl is happening on Sunday. Oh, yeah, that's true. and that is. But the Saudis are supporting the Premier Golf League. And the Premier Golf League is talking about offering the top golfers in the world, perhaps the top 48 golfers in the world, $25 million each Wow! to participate in their tournaments. Wow. So they would then be competing with and overshadowing the Professional Golfers Association. And... That's a, that's an international story, and it just shows. And the and the Saudis say, you know, it would it wouldn't cost more than a billion, a billion bucks. Twenty five million is more than twenty four million. It's a lot more just to show up. They don't have to win anything. They just have to show up. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yes, and so so to participate in their league instead of in the PGA, which would go a long way towards tanking the PGA. Pretty significant. The this wor- is a question. Is blood thicker than water? Is money more important than tradition? This is one of the questions. And in fact, the broader question, in some respects, what happens to the PGA Tour is unimportant. But another question, there is the overarching theme of how much are our traditions for sale? To what degree can large, concentrated, largely concentrated capital trump, and I use the word on purpose, established norms, established traditions, established institutions that can feel priceless, but sometimes a price will be put on them. What's next? I know what I would do if I were president or if I were in Congress, either the House or the Senate. You could be like Putin and make everybody say you're a really good golfer. You could go get your $25 No. I would put through legislation that placed a 90% income tax on any income of this nature, which comes from basically a foreign, which would reduce from 25 million 
to sports fee less tariffs. Than, to less than <laughs> one million for these folks, what they get in their pocket, which would probably discourage them from dissing the PGA. But we'll see. The World Bank has told Tanzania that it's not going to get its $500 million loan, which had earlier been approved, unless they change their policy, which denies education, forbids young women who are pregnant to attend school. Boy, you talk about misogyny. That is out of the way. The UK, that is Great Britain, has okayed Huawei's participating in the 5G thing, and I need somebody with greater technological cyber information and understanding than I to explain the significance of that, and if you can, I think it would be great. Significance of what? Of 5G itself or something else? Yeah, the 5G itself. I I understand the significance of Huawei being allowed to do it because we've been saying that they're too close to the Chinese government and therefore they could be spying and they could be putting stuff on people's phones and they could be having access to all kinds of information that we don't want China to have. So 5G basically... It's faster than 4G. But one of the reasons it matters is that at some point, if wireless, if true wireless, and I don't mean wi- uh, I don't mean Wi-Fi, I mean you know distributed wireless technology, if it is really, really fast, and if it's really reliable, and if it's everywhere, then you won't need fiber. You won't need to have cable. You won't need to have, uh, you know, I just put wires inside and, and conduit to be able to put wires inside walls. But if you really have a strong, uh, true wireless network, you won't need any wires. Your phone will be able to do all the stuff. Now, you don't really want, you know, your, your phone, you know, for the fastest games, you know, you kind of want your Wi-Fi network. Not You don't want to have to do that all outside. That's some of the significance of it. And whoever gets the major 5G contracts, uh, it's not like, oh, 3G will still compete. It won't compete at all. Nobody will choose. Nobody will choose old technology. Everybody will go to the newer technology. Should we have any concern that what that means is that there are all kinds of radio wave connections? Oh, we're getting cancer. Which must be going through our bodies. We're getting cancer. I, I, in fact, I wear I wear uh, wireless headphones, and I just read an article that I'm probably going to get cancer. And I think I, but I am I'm not believing it. Therefore, I want to continue. I want to preserve my. Uh, I'm not assuming the risk. I want to preserve my ability to sue these folks because I I believe that because they are putting out the product, they must be safe. So I'm preserving my ability to sue them. That said, I'm. I'm what if they're lying? What if we're all going to get cancer? All right, Pop. It is time for election news. Go ahead, Pop. What do you got? Well, election news is Monday. We're going to get Iowa's ridiculous influence exercised over the process of choosing the American president, which the more you look at it, the sillier it is for us to be giving Iowa that kind of power because it is totally unrepresentative of the population of the United States as a whole. Just doesn't come anywhere close to that. And it is designed to minimize the likelihood of very, very large numbers of Iowans participating in the choice because it's limited to people who are willing, no matter what the weather, which in January or February in Iowa is often really, really, really cold 
and sometimes dangerous, oh, are willing to go out and brave the cold and brave the danger to attend a caucus. But anyhow, it's going to happen on Monday. Of course, there ought to be a system where there are rotating states, where you have a handful of blocks of states, where you make sure each region of the country is represented every four years in the first few, first handful of states, and that should rotate around. Of course, that should be how it works. Well, some might make an argument that, well, you kind of build this campaign infrastructure. It makes it easier to create this kind of focus group system, and then the focus groups get really honed early in, but I think that argument is probably hogwash. But it's an argument that has to be agreed to by just about everybody running for president because Iowa's first. So you can't, nobody who's our president has ever been able to say Iowa shouldn't be first because in order to be elected president, they had to win Iowa. It's just a boondoggle. It's a great way, by the way, to bring in a whole lot of money, particularly as the expense of presidential candidacies have skyrocketed and skyrocketed. Brings a lot of money to Iowa. All right, Dad. Do you remember what month it was that Bernie... I, I remember what month it was that Bernie Sanders got a heart attack. By the way, the headline of this story is Bernie Sanders is a miracle. And for people who are not Bernie Sanders fans, they will not view that as a compliment. But it's a miracle nonetheless. And if you compare this to how, uh, to how Hillary Clinton was treated when she got pneumonia, just keep that in mind. But do you remember what month it was that Bernie Sanders got, uh, got his heart attack? I don't, but it was about six months ago. Okay, I'm going to read this headline, and then, uh, and, and, well, this headline and then this subheader, this first fact, and then see if you can guess what month it was. Okay. According to a poll released Saturday by the New York Times and Siena College, Senator Bernie Sanders has taken the lead among likely Democratic caucus goers in Iowa. Sanders saw 25% support, a gain of six points from the last time Siena poll conducted in late October. Dad, do you know what month it was that he got his heart attack? Well, it was probably in November. It was October. <laughs> October. He got a heart attack. And since then, like that was the thing that spurred, got him up, moved him up. So it was four months ago. He got a heart attack. And that gave him six points. It's pretty impressive. It's a miracle. Most people get a heart attack, something bad happens. Maybe you know, It's a miracle. Uh, it seems to have come at the expense of Senator Elizabeth Warren. The only other notable change in the race was a doubling of support to 8% received by Senator Amy Klobuchar. Uh, current poll numbers, Sanders 25, Buttigieg 18, Biden 17, Warren 15, Klobuchar 8. I think it matters to be in the top three. I think that Elizabeth Warren doesn't want to be fourth. Another piece of news more locally related to this is a big slew of progressive Democrats in Oregon all came out and endorsed Elizabeth Warren, including uh, Tina Kotek, including uh, a friend of the, uh, in, including multiple friends of this program. Uh, and so that was a little bump for at least the Oregon campaign. But Oregon happens after Iowa. Oregon happens after, after Iowa and, and after California and after Super Tuesday and after South Carolina and after may, Nevada. But maybe not but after you, it's over. But you know what? This could be the time when we actually matter. Oregon it might really matter. could matter. There have been those that who would been be fun. pushing for Oregon to have an earlier primary. But it might still matter this time. GOP Representative Doug Collins of Georgia said Wednesday he will run for the U.S. Senate in 2020. He made the announcement during an appearance on Fox and Friends. He'll compete in a special election to complete the final two years, a seat previously held by Senator Johnny Isaacson, who retired at the end of 2019. Uh, the incumbent, Senator Kelly Loeffler, was appointed last month by Governor Brian Kemp. That decision went against the wishes of Trump, who had been strongly advocating 
for Doug Collins. Andrew Yang is qualified for the next Democratic debate. He got the 5% or higher result in two national polls. He has now done that. What other election news have you got, Dad? That's the, I think that covers the election news we need to talk about this morning. I'm well, I, no, there's another thing we want to say. Twitter has announced that there's going to be a new tool that allows users to report voter suppression and misinformation. And I do want to give a mini shout-out. It's a premature one, but at least a mini shout-out. If it works. for that, that Twitter's at least doing something. It's a different thing than Mark Zuckerberg coming out and saying, hey, listen, if Hitler has a right to say his piece, and, if, and the people who want to say that the Holocaust didn't happen, well, they want to say their piece, and that facts... Well, facts are just, you know, just like opinions. You should be able to have whatever version of facts that you want. At least Twitter is taking a different view of that. Doesn't mean Twitter's a good guys, but at least they're taking a different view of that. And I have a question because what I what I fear with that is that every time CNN or ABC or CBS or NBC or even MSNBC reports something which is true and then somebody publishes that on Twitter, and it is true that all kinds of far-right trolls will use that to say, oh, fake news, here's an example of lying. And how, how is Twitter going to determine who's right? Well, Dad, I should offer one other news with respect to Elizabeth Warren. Washington Post reporting that a new national poll answered a critical question, who is the second choice among Democratic voters? And that matters in case anybody drops off. Elizabeth Warren is the second choice of the most people. Uh-huh. Silver medals, however, tend not to get elected president. But maybe enough silvers, you then get the average of being gold. Yes, we'll see. Uh, Biden has announced, or it, it's been uh, indicated, that they Biden has one particular problem, and that is a poll suggests that his voters aren't the caucusing type. So one of the concerns is, if, Biden, if Biden's voters are folks who are like, hey, you know, we're comfortable with this cat, and we're comfortable with this cat because we don't want to spend every day like knocking on doors and like going into Congress and being in the rain and making phone calls. We're we going to a stable presidency. We're going to see who has the ground game on Monday, because in Iowa the ground game is what really matters. I mean, it has to, that edge has to go to Bernie Sanders, not only because he he has a big crew, but because he's had he had whole four time years to, to work the crew, on it. right? Yeah. He had yeah. he'd get the same same people he had last time, a little bit of drop off, plus four years to get some new people. He's probably got a bunch of people. All right. Well, we will be back in just a moment. Uh, coming up will be the quick six, and we'll also be talking to Margot Black, candidate for city council, getting a breakdown of that race. Yeah, maybe a little bit of the dynamics of the race, but also what the heck should the city be doing? What are we doing wrong? What can we do right? Now it's time for the Quick 6 Local Rundown. I'm Jefferson Smith. It's Thursday, January 30th. Not local, but it is Phil Collins' birthday. One, it's raining and raining and raining some more, leading to landslides. Rock slides triggered by rain have closed roads across the state, including a highway near Crater Lake that closed after 15-foot boulders narrowly missed a car. It's the rainiest January Oregon has seen in two years, and more heavy rain is in the forecast for the Columbia River Gorge. More former students have accused Catlin Gable staffers of abuse. The students allege the abuse took place in the 1970s and through the 80s, ranging from sexual abuse to dealing students drugs. Catlin Gable commissioned a report after several former students reported abuse on social media. The report found that 21 former employees have been accused of sexual assault going back decades. 
A legal challenge to Portland's camping ban has failed. Previously, houseless woman argued the city's ban on camping was unconstitutional as she has nowhere else to go. The Oregon Court of Appeals affirmed a lower court acted constitutionally when a judge declined to dismiss the case. So it sounds like the case is going forward. A new preschool measure is expected on the November ballot. The move follows a report from the county's Preschool for All task force, led by County Commissioner Jessica Vega-Peterson. We had a chance to see at the Governor's State of the State last Friday. If passed, funds from the ballot measure would start a universal preschool system that includes home-based, school-based, center-based, and Head Start-affiliated programs. The grid is at full capacity. In some parts of Oregon, the grid is at full capacity for solar power. It means people utilizing solar power cannot connect their setups to the grid until big upgrades are made to that grid. These upgrades cost as much as a half million dollars in some areas. Portland Trailblazer Damian Lillard had his first triple-double last night. The Blazers beat the Rockets 125-112. to Lillard had 36 points, 11 assists, and 10 rebounds. And I think he had two, I think, shots from the logo. It's about time, he said after the game. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Just a moment, we'll be right back with Margot Black. You're not used to hearing a lot of Phil Collins and X-Ray. I know, I know, <laughs> but it's Phil Collins' birthday today. And just because listening is easy doesn't mean it's bad. Okay, Hard listening doesn't mean better listening. Not always. Right now, we're about to do some listening to Margot Black, candidate for city council. One of, I think, 242 candidates for the seat vacated by the dearly departed Nick Fish. Margot Black, advocate for housing, worked actively with tenants' rights. We've talked to her on the program before. We will be talking to other candidates, but one benefit of having talked to her before, it means maybe you get to be first in the lineup of people we interview. Margo, good morning. Good morning, Jefferson. Who are you? Why are you running? Uh, my name is Margo Black. I'm running for uh, Portland City Commissioner, seat number two. Um, why am I running? Do we want the long answer? This is the time, right? Well, you know, if you use if you you give the answer you want to give, it doesn't mean that we'll have more time. It just means that's <laughs> how we'll spend it. Well, um, I mean, I get that I've been asked this a lot over the last few weeks, and um, it really comes down to um, kind of a combination of the the stars aligning and feeling called to serve. I've a lot of people have told me that I should either run for office or be a lawyer for uh, most of my life, certainly most of my adult life, and. Um, after I started organizing uh, four or five years ago around housing and tenants' rights, which is something that I you know, feel like I almost literally stumbled into as a full-time math teacher and mom of teenagers and some littles, uh, I started seeing the systematic forces um, around us and how they, how they act to prevent progress and, and started really wondering, you know, in terms of folks encouraging me to run for office, you know, where where am I most effective? And two years ago, uh, when I first considered running for this seat, I decided not to because I decided I was more effective doing what I was doing. Why that change? Organizing. No longer effective there? Well, it's not that I'm no longer effective. It's just uh, really the last four years. And, and, and when I say four years, I mean, you know, this time four years ago during the elections, I, I've learned so much about how politics work, um, what, how decisions get made, how they don't get made, uh, the some of the excuses or conversations that drive those decisions, some of the barriers, and something that has been uh, more obvious to me almost every day of 
trying to continue to both organize in communities and push for policy change is how inaccessible city government is, how few people even know that we have a city government that is uh, that are making decisions about their lives. And I've also seen how those decisions, very impactful decisions, sometimes hang in the balance, you know, with these five commissioners, including our mayor, on, you know, a very small group of people's feelings um, or agendas. And and these aren't the things that should be guiding our decisions. And so uh, where am I most effective? I mean, I think I can still be effective in a lot of places, but I have learned uh, through my experience and bring a lot of my own lived experience into this decision-making process that I think city council needs fresh voices and fresh narratives and people who um, so it's going to have fresh voices. It is going to have fresh voices. And there's a bunch of voices. There's, there's, <laughs> a, there's a cacophonous symphony yes. that is running for this. Out of the 417 people running, mm-hmm. why are you better than 416 of them? Well, Jefferson, I'm, I'm not sure I want to think of it as being better or the best. I mean, I really believe in democracy. And I think that the people, I, first of all, I, I think a lot of progressive voices in this race is a, a pretty great problem to have. Um, and I think that uh, the people, we, what we need to make sure that we do as candidates is reach as many people as possible and tell them, you know, what the menu options are and let the people decide whether they want, you know, somebody with my lived experience and, and focus and the, the way that I will approach problems and solutions or they want somebody else's. And I do believe I, I bring a very unique perspective. I, I think I have a proven track record of um, both speaking truth to power and getting stuff done. Um, the the things I get done have pretty immediate, far-reaching material impact on the folks who uh, are, are most inclined to believe that the government doesn't exist for them or care about them. Um, and I have built, you know, coalitions and organized communities across um, class, across age, across the city. And uh, I really, I just think that if the if we can reach the people and let them know what city government is and what's at stake, and I believe and I know from my experience that I want to drive change by listening to their voices. I want them to organize and mobilize and bring their demands to power. And I think that uh, I think. That folks, I think I have a, a record that shows I mean that, and I think that folks um, will be excited about that. Pop, you had a question. I do. It, it's a two-part question. Actually, I have a, a, a couple of specific policy questions that I want to ask later. But right now, we do not encourage negative campaigning mm-hmm. in this show or this station, but... <laughs> You have a lot of opponents. That said, what do you hate about each one of them? So the two-part question I have, first, is there any one thing which you offer, any specific skill or any specific policy position which you don't see any of your opponents having? And then the second part of the two-part question, is there anything that any of your opponents is espousing or any weakness that one of your opponents has that you believe is worthy of mention because it could be dangerous? 
Okay. Um, those are extensive questions. Uh, I think that I what I bring uniquely to this that none of my other opponents have is, uh, first and foremost, just a proven um, track record and, and focus on housing and tenants' rights. And in ways where we're, we're thinking outside the box on that, I think that the number one issue in any poll in the last you know, weeks, months, years is still housing and homelessness. Renters are 50% of Portland's population, and that's growing rapidly. Uh, I know that I'm the only candidate in the race with um, a deep understanding of how housing and tenants' rights actually impacts every other policy issue that the city talks about and the ability to move those conversations. I come from, um, I'm, a, I'm a trained academic in math, mathematics. I think that I, uh, that's a very unique skill set. I, my lived experience is unique. I was uh, a foster child. My mother has spent um, most of my life in institu institutionalized or incarcerated. I was a single teen mother. Um, I have lived through the, the experience of being uh, down, you know, pushed down by syst systematic forces that were designed to, to push me down. And I, I don't know all 417 candidates personally or what their issue areas are. I know the names of a handful of them um, and haven't even memorized the list of the rest. And I don't know what um, what their agendas are and their strengths and weaknesses. I would say that of the candidates that I know, um, the, the one that I am most concerned um, of winning is um, Commissioner Loretta Smith. And that is because when she was running for Joanne Hardesty's seat, um, you know, I, I'm speaking from my own, um, you know, my own base and, and uh, the, the issue that I'm most passionate about, which is housing tenants' rights. She was the only candidate who didn't return our uh, PTU's questionnaire. Um, you know, she showed no interest in our issue. She's taken money from the uh, groups that have um, actively worked against our agenda and tried to delegitimize um, myself and the work we're doing. Um, and I'd be very concerned about um, her winning this seat, especially because um, uh, Commissioner Fish was um, a very steady third vote on um, on our agenda. And in, in meeting with him over the last couple of years, and especially since his cancer diagnosis, we had a lot of conversations about um, you know what it what equity really really meant, and um, what was important in making policy decisions. And I'd be very concerned. Um, to lose uh, his commitment to, um, you know, to housing and tenants' rights and other issues like that, um, with somebody who has, I, I believe, very clearly demonstrated a lack of interest in um, in pursuing those goals. With Chloe Udaley getting challenged by Sam Adams and mm -hmm. Mingus Maps, Chloe Udaley and you being two of the more others as well, but two of the more high-profile people who've emerged. <laughs> Since let's call it the housing crisis mm -hmm. in Portland and Oregon, and now there's a former mayor that's challenging her. What was your reaction to that? <clears throat> uh, well, I I was a little bit bewildered, frankly. Um, I I'm very concerned. Obviously, I'm concerned about what that says um, about you know the. I read one interview that quoted Sam or described him saying something to the effect of. You know, I was hanging around with some buddies and told me I should get back on city council. And the fact that, uh, you know, those buddies, I don't know who they are. I've, I've never met um, 
Mayor Sam Adams, however, I'm uh, meeting with him this afternoon. Um, I, I I just I'm curious as to why he chose. Uh, well, well, first of all, I just think in a time where we are bringing in these fresh voices and these fresh narratives, um, you know, why he why a rerun? You know, I think that Sam can be impactful uh, without having to have another seat on city council. And I wonder why he was, you know, running against um, uh, somebody who the who Portland really um, has been proud of in terms of a real people's candidate. And 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 think what uh, you will um, about uh, Chloe, but you know she has uh, brought some massive change. She has done what she said she promised to do. Uh, she's got more on the way. I mean, we have seen incredible leadership and success uh, in housing and tenants rights and, and transit. And I just think, gosh, Sam, why why do you want to take out, um, you know, the really, you know, the left's most, um, you know, successful victory? Uh, I, I, I just am bewildered by it. I mean, I, I think I've, we'll have a chance. I think we'll have a chance to ask him. Mm-hmm. Let me, we had on Friday, we had a chance on the honor to broadcast with our partner city club, the state of the state. And Governor Kate Brown gave her pitch of how the state is doing. The plurality of her remarks focused on climate change. Mm-hmm. She then talked about transportation and the importance of expanding the highway in around the Rose Quarter and going over the river. The first and last question asked, which is, wait a minute, you say that your big priority, she, her quotes included, climate change is the challenge of our era. Her quotes included, this century's problems will not be solved by last century's solutions. The first and last questions were, hey, wait a minute, how does that jibe? How does your climate focus and focusing on future solutions jibe with having our very biggest transportation spending priorities being mega highway expansions? Mm-hmm. And she gave the same answer both times, which which I mapped. The first, <laughs> the first beat was climate change is the challenge of our era, something like that. And then, for, and then saying 40% of our pollution comes from transportation emissions. And then saying, I'll address it by market-based blob something or other that I lost track of and that mm-hmm. may have been the point. <laughs> what is your view? And, and there are gonna be a lot of things that everybody agrees on, okay? Mm-hmm. Like even though NARAL came out and endorsed one candidate uh, without interviewing any other candidate, mm-hmm. NARAL pro-choice Oregon, like my guess is anybody who wins the seat is gonna be pro-choice. Yeah. But there will be some things y'all disagree on. Mm-hmm. That might include, for instance, Rose Quarter and Columbia River Crossing highway expansions. Where you stand? <clears throat> um, well, you know, I I think it's important to make these decisions with an equity lens. I mean, I I am a car user, and uh, well, me too. But it mm-hmm. doesn't mean I'm proud of the habit. No, I'm not proud of it either. You know, I've been a mom since I've been an adult, and uh, and have had. You know, I have three children and I have and, and they have friends. You know, I'm just saying I, I look first of all, I think public transit is absolutely public transit and walkable neighborhoods and mass transit are is the future. Um, I don't think that we need more and wider highways. I don't think we need uh, more room for cars in any way. Um, I just want to I want to approach these problems with with an equity lens and just make sure that um, that we don't make decisions that are going to the 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 burden of which is going to be borne by the people who are really bearing the burdens of all of our, well, my our decision question, failures. My, yeah. my follow-up question is going to be, well, applying an equity lens, where does that mm-hmm. land you? Uh, but, Dad, you were wa- you were waving your hand with great vigor. <laughs> well, uh, because I 
I have a question that is directly relevant to this. Metro is proposing a multi-billion dollar thing, where, which is going to involve a whole lot of, of uh, highway and road building. And, and of course, the road quarter thing, which has been put temporarily on hold by the Transportation Commission, again. And Joe Courtright, I don't know if you're familiar with, Joe Courtright has written a report which he notes that best analysis, the all of these proposals will reduce carbon emissions by one two thousandth. This is a great opportunity for Jeff to do his thing on charts because Joe has published a chart which shows 2,000 dots, and up in the upper right-hand corner there is one dot representing the diminishment of all of these proposals. And so I would be interested in your take on that and what you think the city should be doing to try to influence the decisions of those bodies which affect Portland immensely, but which Portland doesn't get to make. And also, are you familiar with the proposals to have a tolling system which encourages people to carpool so that we start getting two and three and four people instead of just one person in cars, especially during commuting times. You can bundle his question with mine. They're sort of the same <laughs> question. And, and they sound like different questions. They're mm-hmm. the same question. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately what you have, and this is where the, generally Democrats win city council races. Mm-hmm. And if not, it's some other shade of liberal. Mm-hmm. And that typically means they agree on most stuff. Mm-hmm. They even agree mostly on some housing stuff, but sometimes they'll disagree on some housing stuff mm-hmm. that cleaves down the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what happens when the building trades get at odds with, like, I don't know, bicyclists and people who care about asthma in black communities. Mm-hmm. So where do you sort of line up on this? And is, do you want to sort of dance in between? Do you want to say, no, no, I think that the reason, if you want to understand one of the reasons why Sam got recruited to run, it might well be because Chloe was looking like she was going to be an opponent, that she was going to be, she was going to resist, that she was, if she ran the Transportation Bureau, that she was going to push against highway expansions. And that's why some powerful friends might want their powerful friend to run for mayor. Would you be the kind of person who would stand up to building trades or would be the folks who say, no, no, we need to make sure that we provide that kind of union job. We're not yet ready to try to provide solar panels all the time. Uh, where do you, or, you know, kind of dance between? Well, I need to be very honest and say that this is not a, an issue that I am yet deeply informed about. I, I made mm-hmm. a decision to run for office uh, about three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, the climate and transportation, uh, these are things I care deeply about, but they are things that I trust really smart people around me to, to teach me about. Um, my, my inclination is to support, you know, Green New Deal type initiatives. Uh, I don't want to take away union jobs. I want to create new union jobs. I, I, I favor the just transition. I don't think this is the right time for us to be expanding highways, but I also understand the arguments for doing that. I I want to I want to look at the different uh, the different solutions that we have in front of us, and um, and really ask you know what do we know? What don't we know? What are we assuming? Should we assume that? You know what? barriers are we um, assuming are there and are they really there? And again, I think this is a skill set that comes very naturally to me as a a math teacher, longtime math teacher, also as a mother, we're very resourceful and we learn how to think outside the box. Um, So I'm not, I'm really not ready to take a firm position on that, except for that I I lean toward 
Um, you know, like I said, uh, encouraging um, mass and public transit. I think single car ridership. Uh, we need to do whatever we can to disincentivize or discourage that. But again, I think we need to do that with a real strong anti-displacement and equity lens and recognize that most of the people in single vehicle cars on the freeways are people who have can't afford to live in our city or live near where they work and they have to and they have to drive there. What I think is really missing is that, um, you know, I see a lot of uh, news stories about this um, from time to time. I'm certainly in a lot of activist circles that talk about this um, in their various social medias. But I haven't really, um, I haven't really felt a sense of a broad community conversation, um, a, you know, helping people uh, really on an individual level understand um, how how cars and driving and parking are um, really impacting our city, and that it's not, um, it's just not sustainable anymore, and that uh, and that we need to start to make different habits and choices and part of that is on the individuals but part of that is on um, the city to create those choices and opportunities to make them accessible to um, make sure that we're not taking away your car and replacing it with a, a three-hour you know bus commute where you have to transfer four times um, you know we really have to look at the whole system but sure. again I, I I lean toward the the Green New Deal and, and Chloe's um, position on this Let's go something in your wheelhouse, mm -hmm. housing. What's one thing or two things that will happen or more likely to happen if you're in City Hall on housing that you think are less likely to happen if you're not there? Well, I think just keeping up the conversation on housing and tenants' rights in general. Um, I, you know, I think whether Chloe um, was challenged by Sam, you know, making her vulnerable or not, I think we need, I, I really just think everybody needs to be a, a champion on these issues. Um, you know, something that I am very passionate about um, is permanent supportive housing, which was also one of Nick's uh, issues. I don't, um, it's, it hasn't been one of my focus areas, but it's something that I believe um, I would, I not only would I carry on the work, but I think with permanent supportive housing and affordable housing, which I, you know, I want to say are very different than tenants' rights, where I've focused my energy mainly because there was a, a paucity of of voices and action on that, but um, you know, a lot of the organizing I've done and and um, and the conversations I've been a part of has helped me see that uh, much like what you just described with Kate Brown, you know, you kind of you say the right things, you say the uplifting climate is the biggest priority. This is what we need to, and then you go say we need to expand highways and, and That's freeways. That's the dynamic to be clear. For right. 25 well, years. yeah, of course, yeah, and I think that that Republican, you know, it, Republicans say climate change isn't real or isn't human's fault. The Democrats mm -hmm. say it's really important, and, and then they both go build but, highways. But then it's hard to manifest the right. political power to right. do real change. And I see affordable housing as being uh, real similar. We we all you know we've we've passed. The the city bond, we've passed the metro bond, the state is pouring money into affordable housing. Um, and I've talked to people, you know, in the housing bureau, in um, the, Oregon, uh, the Oregon Housing and Community Services, the state agency that regulates affordable housing. People assume that housing is affordable. They assume it's serving the people that it was meant to to serve they um we all just pat ourselves on the back after the ribbon cutting and so you think it's keeping up the conversation well it's not just keeping up the conversation i you know i have found um i mean i want accountability i want to i actually want to reevaluate the metrics we use for affordability um i want to really ask um you know why uh 
you know, why the rents on affordable apartments are so high and, and how, you know, what metrics we're using. I also want to really talk about why we, why it costs so much money to build. You know, I know a lot of the... Do you think Ted Wheeler would give you the housing bureau? I am sure that he would not. So if you're not going to get the housing bureau, and then Dad will get the next question, uh, if you're not going to get the housing bureau, you can keep up a question, the conversation mm-hmm. about like bugging your neighbor, uh, but how would you apply your values and skills and background to what other bureau you'd run? Well, like I said, I really think housing is um, a fundamental, fun, you know, at, at the, the bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs in terms of, you know, every conversation the city is yeah. uh, having. So I think, you know, no matter what, you know, no matter what bureau or bureaus I get, um, that would be, you know, h- housing. Uh, it interacts with housing. It, somehow. it interacts with housing Got somehow. It. But you know, I think it's really important to to raise the the issue that you know people aren't electing heads of a, a particular bureau; they're electing city commissioners. I I think our bureau form of city government I share with a lot of Portlanders and thinking it's pretty screwed up. Um, I've seen, you know, I with very you know firsthand um how rattled city hall was when you know chloe and her office has uh been basically trying to you know do housing bureau work without having the housing bureau um i think that i mean i just i think that's dysfunctional and i think we need to find a way to unsilo um these policy issues in city council you want to give it to an unelected bureaucrat you know i, I i'm not or do you want a strong mayor i those I like this. I, well, I like the city manager idea. I don't um, like the bureaucrat. I suppose so. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we even still stay in charge of bureaus, Jefferson. But why can't we talk more? Why can't we talk? You know, why can't we have an agreement about? Um, you know, hey, I represent Portlanders, and they all want the housing bureau to do this. And so, hey, housing bureau head, um, you know, I'll let's do this, right? You know, I don't mean to sound overly naive. I just think that... Oh, um, you probably do talk, but I... I well, I, I think we need to work together better. We need right. to not see it as such a, a territorial issue where the only person who can drive any change within a bureau is the person heading up that bureau. I just yeah. think that that's not what the people of Portland are, are... That's not what they think is happening when they vote for their commissioners. Pop, go ahead. we got time for a question or two. And I would be interested in having you comment on your experience as an administrator, because a good case can be made that the most important day-to-day function of members of the council are running a bureau. But on housing, what is your take on infill and the competing proposals for infill and changing zoning and even requiring changing zoning in the city relative to infill? Housing is your deal, so tell us about that. Let's just end this with a question that could make or break your political career. I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I... Uh, well, that's what this campaign's going to do, right? Uh, I mean, maybe not break, because yeah, yeah, you could yeah, lose sure, and more sure, people sure. know who you yeah, are. Yeah, um, You know, I've, I've thought about this a lot, um, and I believe that um, at, at the end of the day, our, our zoning, our single-family zoning, um, though that... The decisions that were made in the last 50 years um, to uh, move from zoning that would allow some multifamily housing in residential neighborhoods to, um, you know, to very explicitly excluding that, those decisions were made for, you know, racist and classist reasons, and that needs to be corrected. Uh, I very much understand um, the concerns about uh, the residential in- infill project increasing 
<clears throat> excuse me, speculative property values um, by increasing the, the zoning. And I very much understand the, the displacement and gentrification risks associated with that. And I share very much the concern with the um, anti-displacement PDX and, and others in that community who are um, doing their uh, hardest, working their hardest to make sure that you know, whatever ends up passing with uh, RIP, the residential infill pro uh, project, comes with strong anti-displacement protections in place. And I agree with that. I think we need the Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act to be passed in parallel with RIP to make sure that um, a tenant residing in a residence um, that is going to be sold by their owner has the opportunity to, to purchase that. Um, <clears throat> I think that we need a right to return policy, and I think we need a... Um, we need a right to return policy that allows people to return, you know, to the same spot or nearby at the same place because we really have to take action to preserve communities. But I don't think that um, until and unless we have the most perfect policy that is going to meet all the needs, we should we should do nothing because again, um, you know, we don't have apartment buildings and duplexes and cottage clusters and whatnot in these residential neighborhoods um, because you know that decision was made very very intentionally to prevent the type of people who live in that housing from being in those neighborhoods and that's a that's a, a legacy that um, is baked into you know Oregon's founding and constitution and when we talk about um, dismantling uh, all of the systematic, um, you know, oppressions, uh, the patriarchy, capitalism, white supremacy. Um, I think we, you know, we have to correct these historical wrongs. And it's true, unfortunately, that those wrongs will, you know, that, that lifting the zoning will mean that we'll have, um, instead of a million dollar house, we'll have five hundred thousand dollar triplexes and i i agree with folks who say that that's not diversifying the neighborhood that's not better we're talking to margo black by the way candidate for city council in nick fish's seat uh, and thank you for listening everybody uh, margo we're going to be joined right now by our friend alex Zelinsky of the portland mercury we're probably going to then move on with alex and say goodbye to you midstream but just thought there might be an opportunity for alex Zelinsky. she might even have a question rather than making her wait further and ki and kicking you out before you might want to be kicked out alex Zelinsky, can you hear me yeah, I can. How's it going? I am doing well. Do you have any questions for this witness? <laughs> Hi, Alex. <laughs> Hi, Margo. Um, I do. None that I want to ask right now on air, though. Oh! <laughs> uh, so we operate in the sun. And by the sun, mm -hmm. I mean a dank basement where our yeah. studio resides. <laughs> uh, I think that'll be my tagline for my campaign. Sunlight's the best disinfectant. Where is, that's why, I mean, we must have germs in there. We don't have any windows. Uh, do you have a reaction to NARAL Pro-Choice Pro Oregon uh, endorsing uh, Tara Hurst prior to and instead of interviewing any of the other candidates? She's a board member of that organization. She was chief of staff to Charlie Hales. Uh, one, we'll have a chance probably to ask her questions and include what are the priorities vis-a-vis -vis City Hall and Owen's right to choose. How did that strike you? <clears throat> so I, I don't know Tara. Um, I uh, I assume that she is every bit as great as Narrow Pro-Choice Oregon said in the, the Willamette Week story that I read. 
Um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm puzzled and befuddled by it, especially if they, you know, there's organizations that endorse and, um, you know, and they tell the seven people who notice or care about that endorsement. And then there's organizations like Narrow Pro-Choice Oregon. And I would certainly assume when I get, you know, an email from an organization like that, that they went through a process and that they had looked at all of the candidates' uh, records, um, policy, you know, politics, lived experience, and actually chosen, you know, the best champion. And I'm not trying to claim that I am the best champion. However, I am a pro-choice voter, and reproductive justice is an issue that's very close to my heart. And I, you know, I'm curious why a, an organization that ostensibly seeks to empower women and give them choice would, um, you know, look around at the table of, you know, what, 10, 12 folks and say, you know, let's let's vote for for one of our own and and then tell everybody that we picked the best one. And, you know, I love that they said it was a unanimous decision. Well, when <laughs> how couldn't it be a unanimous decision? Right. Nobody else got any votes. <laughs> no, exactly. Nobody else was on the ballot. Yeah. Nobody else was on the ballot. And, you know, she's good friends with everybody. I mean, it just seems like, you know, uh, uh, power begetting power. You know, this this is how um, we have uh, establishment politics, you know, reproduce itself. And t- to me, it kind of raises questions about why, you know, the, the just the whole endorsement um, by this kind of click of, of, of folks in the political milieu, you know, just continues to reproduce the same systems that we claim yeah. to want to dismantle. I was going to I was going to wrap but then dad raised his hand and dad go ahead you asked the last question. Well, I would just like to say it is a great disappointment to me whenever an organization endorses a candidate without even looking at any of the other candidates and I had a personal experience on that where my position on narrow issues was identical to the person who they endorsed and and they frankly endorsed her because she was a her and and, and that but and, and and I I believe and believed that their the positions that they are espousing might have been better carried by a white older man well, I'll challenge who you on grew that up now. who grew up <laughs> in an organization Dad, I'll that take, was I'll a take, po- wait I, no, not, I'm not going to let you introduce you're I'm not, not running <laughs> I'm not going to let you do this uh, who who grew up in an organization that was opposed to choice that somebody coming from that background might have influence that the the narrow employee might not yeah. and that i would suggest is I th- has I, to do with the reason did you have a question no it's not a question it's okay. a comment that i've so wanted I'll, to make for 20 years and i just got to make it okay so, so I'll, I'll, I'll push back i'll push back on that one an, an organization that is rooted in trying to beat back patriarchy and grow I, I do not have a beef with them saying that no no we need as people lived experience to champion those issues i, I don't think that's hypocritical I don't, I don't i don't think it's surprising i even think it's laudable uh, but uh, but i nonetheless think it's an interesting question and i also think an interesting question when there is you know because one could imagine you know a bicycle crew saying hey we're gonna let's find some big bicycle advocate to run. Hey, you run. Yeah, we promise we'll endorse you <laughs> if you run. And they come out and endorse them. I kind of so I kind of want to ask Nara. I kind of want to ask Tara Hurst about that. Anything you want to say before we wrap? Um, on any topic, you get to pick anything you want. You can just say goodbye. <laughs> any question we should have asked that we didn't. Uh, well, you didn't ask me what I was going to. I mean, well, I guess a lot of folks have have said. In fact, one of the first people I asked if how they felt about me running, they said, "Well, what uh, hasn't." Chloe kind of done all the 
all the things already? Like, do we really need another another housing person? Or, you there? know what? He, and and so I you you didn't ask me what um my what my platform is. You know how I'm get if, if I've got anything else I know how to talk about, except for transportation, which I told you that I didn't. Well, that was I was sort of <laughs> attempting to get there with you. Yeah. Not a, if you're not doing housing, mm-hmm. uh, then what what are your priorities in addition to that? I'll ask that question. So I guess the first thing I want to say is that you know I have been laser focused on housing and tenants' rights because as I said before, there was kind of a paucity of those voices, um, you know, beating the drum, and I had to stay really laser focused on tenants' rights because other housing issues took up a lot of oxygen. But I, you know, I've actually been a fighter my whole life, and I have fought for a lot of uh, things. Um, in, uh, you know, what I want to, uh, what I want to really focus my campaign on is, you know, first of all, what what's our job as as uh, elected leaders of the city? Like, what does it take to win? You know, what do you? And I don't mean win the election. I mean like win the game. Like, you did it. You were a good city commissioner. You did what you said. And I think we need um, healthy stable, whole, and empowered communities. And so the policies that I um, want to advance are, are really going to you know, prioritize that. I, I think that every Portlander needs not, you know, we don't need to be talking in terms of minimum wage. We need to talk in terms of living wage. I think we need real rent control. We need free public transit. We need an expanded public sector that really actually serves and represents the community and that the community knows they what's exist. The most, what's the biggest one you want to fight for that's most specific in our last word? Um, I guess taxing taxing the rich to pay for it. What's the best way to tax them? Well, um, I actually think that there should be sort of a buffet of ways. I think one of them is a, a wealth tax. I think there's a windfall profits tax. I think we need to uh, look at a vacancy tax. I guess is the taxing the rich, mu- rich music. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, because whenever somebody starts taxing, I guess this is the music. <laughs> um, I, w- I want to tax the tax breaks. You know, I want to look at um, money saved from various tax breaks and oh. say, well, the city will take that. Thank you very much. Well, Margot Black, thank you so much thank for you. sitting in the seat today and being candid with us and talking to us this morning. Appreciate you. Appreciate you stepping forward to serve. We'll have a chance to talk to other candidates well. You're li- as well. Alex Zielinski of the Portland Mercury, thanks for being with us and being able to sit firsthand. I was thinking you would want to get in a question, but now I recognize you want to hold them back and get them in secret. <laughs> I do. And also I jumped in kind of at the end of that conversation, so I didn't want to repeat stuff that had already been said. No, it's all right. What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about the FBI? You want to talk about Nick Fish? You want to talk about police? Where do you want to start? Um, I, I don't know if you're interested in talking at all about or if you have talked about the Jeremy Christian trial. Well, you know, um, is, I, I don't know if I, we want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but what's going to happen yeah. with this cat? Because it's, it's, you know, it's sort of, I don't know, like I, I won't comment on it, but what's the, uh, yeah, what's the most important stuff we need to know? Yeah, well, I think what we've seen, and uh, my reporter, fellow reporter Blair, and I have sat in the first two days of the trial. And I think we're 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 not gonna we're not planning on going back for a while because there's so many other news organizations covering it. But it's interesting to see kind of where the arguments are laid out, and it seems um, it seems like there's going to be a big focus um, on kind of a theme that we've seen in Portland over the past couple of years, talking about how. Um, you know, far right and very um, radical, if not uh, hateful speech is uh, free speech. And what that, where that line um, lies. And if, you know, on, on uh, May 26, 2017, when Jeremy Christian was um, espousing uh, seemingly uh, racist and um, 
very obviously anti-Muslim and anti-Christian and anti-Jewish kind of um, a rant on the max if, um, you know, the, the public's attempt to silence him was, in fact, a silencing of his First Amendment rights. He's arguing. Um, he's arguing self-defense, and he's saying, "What these people were trying to silence me from being a from me, being a bigot, and it's my constitutional right to be a bigot, and therefore I am allowed to stab these people." Right, right. And his his attorneys are really arguing that he had maybe a flawed understanding of what the, what uh, protected speech is, but um, because of his maybe skewed kind of mental understanding or, or um, uh, instability. Um, that his response was somehow um, measured. Yeah, sense. we'll see what um, we'll see what the jury does. Is, is the judge made a ruling on this? Is there anything that's going to go up on appeal? Uh, no, I mean yeah. not yet. Definitely not yet. So it'll be a, um, it'll be a question of fact, and the jury will decide, and we'll learn what the jury yep. jury decides. Uh, anything else that in really a, surprised you? <laughs> yeah. Any else? Anything else to surprise you about that trial? Or you want to talk about the new FBI uh, new FBI report? Yeah, let's move on. I mean, that trial's going to be going on for a while, yeah. so we can, we can get back into it. Um, but, uh, yeah, the new FBI report you're mentioning um, is about the Joint Terrorism Task Force, which is this um, region-wide group of law enforcement organizations, including, you know, different sheriff's offices, different um, uh, police bureaus, different federal bureaus, um, who all usually work together in a region to kind of... Um, uh, discuss and and share information on potential domestic terrorism threats. And last year, uh, last February, actually, almost a year ago, the city voted to remove its two represent the two police officers who are kind of the um, representing the city on the Joint Terrorism Task Force here, um, out of kind of responding to community fears around the FBI, specifically the FBI's kind of history of, of, of unfairly and disproportionately targeting people just because of their, their race or religion, specifically Muslim and kind of immigrant folks, um, and using their powers to investigate a terrorism activity to just kind of zero in on people of color from the U.S. Yeah, that's been the big fear. The big fear is that the Joint Terrorism Task Force would be a camel's nose in the tent of doing some nefarious right. stuff. Anything that indicated that those fears are more founded or less founded? Um, well, so the report that came up yesterday was kind of the first in this um, new requirement from the city saying, okay, if we're not going to be part of this task force, we still want to know what's kind of at what point is the FBI, FBI still reaching out to Portland to say, hey, there's something on our radar that seems like you guys should, should probably take a look? Um, or when is the police bureau saying, hey, FBI, like there's something here that seems like it's kind of your area of expertise. We're going to hand it off to you. And so, um, th- th- so the, you know, police bureau and the JTTF kind of released a report that showed um, a really vague kind of uh, recounting of the number of different instances that this happened in the past year in 2019, um, and with you know th- there were I think 10 uh, cases in which the, the FBI and the JTTF kind of forwarded cases to uh, the city of Portland and, and the police bureau, and all we hear like the, the only details are you know um, a man said something racist at a bar and was like maybe aligned with a, uh, you know, racist group. So we don't know much um, about those 10 cases. 
right, that's kind of all we got. Mm-hmm. We do know the race of everyone, all the suspects in those cases. How representative and the is outcome it? Of them. How, um, how representative of the overall population or how representative of the generally arrested population are those 10? It's not a, we don't have a big sample size, so, you know, you could flip, yeah, you I mean, could flip it, heads it, 10 times, but what do we know? It, it does look like Portland's overall population, which right. is um, heartening in some ways. Um, majority, wide majority is white male, uh, one female and one black man um, were involved in these cases, right. um, one white female. And, um, of course, it does not reflect really the, the amount of people who are arrested in Multnomah County, which are disproportionately people of color, not yeah. more than white people, but compared to the population. Um, but that was, I mean, when City Council heard, kind of got this report yesterday, that was something that um, at least Commissioner Daly kind of brought up saying, hey, this is um, at least a good sign that like they're, that, that we're actually reflecting kind of the people who are really, um, you know, uh, behind a lot of domestic terrorism claims, despite maybe what our, our, our president is saying or, or what kind of other folks are saying about who is actually inflicting. Yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's not the Nation of Islam as much as it is, I don't know, some, uh, some racist guys wearing weird tattoos and trying to mess yeah. with people. Right. And and just for clarity, all of the cases, um, except for one, that were referred from the FBI to the police were closed. Um, none of them ended up being, you know, turning into a bigger um, criminal investigation. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, a lot of them were just referred to the police's, like, behavioral health unit, so yeah. it kind of indicated that a lot of them were probably people struggling with mental health issues. Um, and one is still... Uh, open that they said they're going to discuss next year's report. They couldn't really add any information. Well, Alex Zelensky, thank you so much for being with us this morning. It is truly a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. We're about to wrap with News of My Dad. Dad, anything that you have been deeply wanting to offer? By the way, I love having a chance. You had some wonderful questions for uh, wonderful questions for our uh, for uh, Margot Black, who is running. Anything? I know you also, though, had stuff you really wanted to get out before Straw in the Wind. Any other quick headlines you wanted to make sure we covered? I just wanted to observe that last year was the fourth driest year in Oregon's history. And this month is the wettest January we've ever had, and it's still got a day and a half more to go. <laughs> it does indeed. Well, Pop, that thing, that means I think it is time for a straw in the wind. Straw in the wind. Straw in the wind. I hope this turns out to be a straw in the wind. Black Rock Investments which is one of, if not the biggest in terms of assets managed hedge funds in America and maybe the world, has decided to stop investing in fossil fuels and looking for opportunities to invest in geothermal and other alternative sources of energy. That could be a really major straw in the wind. In other news, there is discussion now in the legislature that they may try to put on a real estate transfer tax. That is something that we will talk about in greater length in a future show. Also, the Portland ballot is likely to have a homeless services tax, and that happened pretty fast. That may be coming to you in a ballot very soon. On a ballot, in a ballot, I'm not sure. want to say thanks, Dad. Well, we did it again. We did it again. We'll be back on Monday. Love you, Pop. Love you, too.